This episode is in support of the British Red Cross. Disasters and emergencies can strike at any time and anywhere. With millions of volunteers across 192 countries, the British Red Cross is part of a movement that's there for people as soon as a crisis happens. Your support means they can reach anyone, anywhere, with the help they need to get through it. For example, in the UK, when an emergency like a flood hits, your support means the British Red Cross is there to give the all-important emotional support people often need. Help organise cleanups and provide them with food and fresh water. And as conflict in Ukraine tears lives apart, your support means the Red Cross movement has reached over 5 million people so far, helping families evacuate providing medical assistance and giving a warm meal and a listening ear for people to talk about their experiences. But without the kind of people who support the British Red Cross, their work wouldn't happen. You make what the Red Cross do possible. It starts with you. So, support the British Red Cross at redcross.org.uk. Thank you. And welcome to this week's look at action and stunts on film and TV. This podcast is dedicated to the men and women who risk their lives uh, week in, week out, for the sake of the movies or TV. So it seems somewhat unusual to be discussing a movie that relies on none of these individuals for its two main set pieces. The first great train robbery in 1978 sees Sean Connery play a gentleman thief who is fixated with stealing gold from a moving bullion train bound for the Crimea. Four keys, two safes and an inside man or two are required if everything is to go according to plan. Sir, can you possibly explain why you went to such incredible lengths to commit this astounding crime? I wanted the money. <laughs> the Great Train Robbery, starring Sean Connery, the greatest scoundrel hero who ever lived. Do you ever tell anyone the truth? The truth? Who ever loved? Who ever lied? Come, come, my dear fellow, are we not friends? More than that, Henry. Much more. Who do all those men think you are? They think I'm Edward Pierce, a sharp businessman. Don't die. Mr. Sims, is it? That's right. Would you try one of these, Mr. Pierce? Uh, with gratitude. Are you John Sims? Edward Pierce, my dear fellow! We'll have a look at this mysterious Mr. Sims. It takes a bold man with a brilliant plan to take what has never been taken before. Such skill. It is so rare these days. Depends on the skill of the workman, of course. And he must have the proper tools. How can I be of service to you? Find me a dead cat. The Great Train Robbery. Robbery indeed. The very idea. Two chub safes, four keys, separately guarded. Two are locked away by the station manager. 
One is in the hands of our president, Mr. Edgar Trent, whom you all know to be utterly reliable. No respectable gentleman is that respectable. I don't know where Mr. Trent keeps his key, but I know the fourth. Such a strong man. But I am myself entrusted with guarding it. What is this? Uh, a key, but I'm afraid... Oh, there must be nothing. So you see, gentlemen, the Crimean gold shipments and all other transactions of the bank are entirely safe. Thank God for that. The Great Train Robbery. It takes genius. It takes charm. It takes timing. It takes nerve. It takes courage. It takes sacrifice. Oh, dear, my dear, my dear. What do you take me for? And it takes the world by surprise. Sean Connery. What could go wrong? Donald Sutherland. Leslie Ann Dowd. The Great Train Robbery. The all-time perfect crime. Let's start with British choreographer and ballet dancer Wayne Sleep, who's cast in the role of Clean Willie, a man so agile he's the only person who could escape Newgate Prison where he's currently being held. He must escape because he is needed to break into the station office at the railway station, open the key cabinet, allowing Donald Sutherland to run in, copy the keys and get out in 75 seconds. Now, Wayne Sleep was a very, very popular entertainer on the television screens in the 1970s. He'd done a great deal of choreography uh, for theatre, and of course on film, he'd also done choreography for Death on the Nile the same year. Um, but he's agile, and as a ballet dancer, has incredibly uh, upper and lower body strength. And yet he's only five foot two. So from an action perspective, when you have a character who is expected to go from this point here to a wall, climb that wall and then move along rails at the top um, to get over then to the rooftops, climb down a drain pipe, down the far side and onto the road below. That takes a great deal of upper and lower body strength it's filmed in a couple of ways it's done very cleverly but nevertheless it doesn't take anything away from the fact that Wayne is a very very good choice for this role it also begs the question well why is he not doubled particularly a he's not a stunt performer and the stuff here which requires agility great deals of agility and one of the main reasons is that there weren't any, there wasn't anybody who was of that certain stature that you could get away with. If there were performers of that size, they were women, so they would move differently, they would look different physically. Also, a great deal of the shots that you see with Wayne in it are very clearly Wayne. The camera shots, Michael Crichton, the director, has decided to use shots of his face or the, the full length of his body pretty much at all times. So it's a really tricky little number to get away. But his agility and his ability 
to be able to get himself into small spaces, move like a cat in certain cases, and jumping from uh, one side of a wall and, and catch two metal spikes coming down so he can get some perches to try and climb over them is absolutely remarkable. It's a remarkable piece of work. And uh, I can understand completely why he was chosen. Now, the other major sequence in the picture is the train sequence because that is the whole basis of the picture the gold bullion is transported on a train and in order to have an inside man on that train they must fool the authorities the railway authorities that uh, a, a woman played by Leslie Ann Down is taking her brother uh, her dead brother back home to Folkestone for burial. Donald Sutherland must play the dead brother, and in order to create the right ambience, the right <coughs> stench in the carriage, they stuff a dead cat under him. But he's inside. Also, the guard, Michael Elphick is part of the deal um, but it's important that they need to be inside because the carriage has been locked from the outside so the only way that Sean Connery is going to get into that particular carriage is by going across the rooftops now there has been folklore you know it's it's one of those stories whereby the director, Michael Crichton, says to Sean, you know, we're going to put you on... You won't be alone. We'll be up there too, which they are. They are up there. But there are moments when he's on his own because there are helicopter shots. So he is in a first-class compartment, and this train, I would say, is something in the region of five carriages long five carriages long maybe he's in a first class compartment at the front he has to make his way back for more carriages although it probably looks a bit more in the film but he has to go back for more carriages to that uh, the safe uh, uh, carriage which is the very back he has to go across the rooftops then when he gets to um when he gets to that carriage, he must drop uh, a rope down uh, in, into the carriage itself for the two men inside to hang on to, allowing him to then be uh, lower himself down to the outside of the carriage, unlock the padlock, take it off, and get inside to then remove the gold from the safe with the keys that they've had cut earlier and throw it from the train so it can be collected by a separate party. All of this seems relatively straightforward on paper. And I dare say that during the production meetings, Connery was, you know, happy to big note himself. And in point of fact, legend has it that he said, no, no, I will do it on my own. The idea is that somebody would have said, or the director would have said, you'll be doubled for this sequence. Sean has put his foot down with a firm hand and gone, no, 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 I'll do it. Now, that's fine. 
You know, you don't have an issue with that. And there are ways and means of filming it. The close-ups, and there are many close-ups of Sean right there on the top of the carriage. Um, and, of course, in, in order to get that particular shot, there will be... Uh, there'll be a cameraman and there will be um, the director and there'll be a sound man and there'll be three or four people all up there on the same carriage as he's walking his way along. But he's not wired. There's no wires, you know, and uh, for people to go, well, you know, he's safe as houses. Well, no, he's not. As early on in this sequence proves, he gets up onto the roof, takes his, uh, takes his top hat off, and he hangs it in the carriage, and then he puts on a cap, and he goes up on the roof, and he gets himself onto the roof, and he realises that his jacket is flapping about so much that it's actually covering his face, it's covering his head, and he's having trouble seeing where he wants to go. Now, bear in mind, the train is travelling along, there is smoke, it's a, it's a steam carriage, and there is smoke billowing down the track from the uh, from the engine right the way back of course he's been covered in that as well so he decides to remove his jacket he has a rope around his uh, around his body he moves the rope in such a way that he can remove his jacket and gets rid of it important to note here that there when you see it there is no wire there's no wire there's no rope there's no nothing holding him in place he is and he's wearing shoes and you'd like to think that those shoes have got some form of rubber sole to them but you can't guarantee it based on the safety that we're at so far michael crichton has evidently said don't worry it'll be fine you're being paid a great deal of money just walk this way or jump this gap here and come here you'll be fine in the edit, they'll make it all work. Even if he fell off the train, the movie would still have come out in December of 78. So, there are a number of issues to factor in. The major issue is the speed of the train. The train driver, he's been chosen evidently because of his ability with this particular engine and his familiarity with the with the length of track which incidentally um, many people have said oh it's a neen valley railway it's not it's filmed in ireland uh it's filmed in ireland it is um it's a section uh, of uh, of railway because they they use a, a place called uh, houston station not houston as we have it here h-e-u-s-t-o-n uh which is um the the, the major uh, the station section for this particular movie but it's it's in and around uh, Mullingar and Athlone it's the Mullingar and Athlone line uh, and uh, they they start off at a place called Castletown Station and so the, because it's Ireland and the, the the detailing here is that this is this is always what confused me was that I was always under the impression there had to be you know, a stunt coordinator on site really giving advice and, and, and or, or suggesting ways of being able to to tie people on or, you know, make it as safe as houses. This is Sean Connery we're talking about. This is the mid-70s with Sean Connery. Who is box office gold? He's absolutely huge. 
You you say the name Sean Connery to anybody, anywhere over the world, in a third world country, and people will know who you're talking about. So the idea that he would be just put on top of a train and asked to do X, Y, and Z while the train is moving at a rapid rate of knots. Now, let's just get back to the speed of this train for a moment. The driver is doing an old a method of being able to count speed before they had any form of um, uh, technology on the plate. What they're talking about here is that the, the driver is counting telegraph poles. Now, what do I mean by counting telegraph poles? Do you, when you, if you're a driver, you will be familiar with the three-second rule that we have here driving. Um give yourself three seconds between you and the vehicle in front of you that will then give you enough time should the vehicle in front choose to slam its anchors on or there's an accident of some sort that three seconds will allow you to respond quickly enough whereby you should not come into collision with the vehicle in front he is counting telegraph poles as they're going by, and he's counting them, and he's doing he's stop-watching it. So when he gets to a certain point, he realises that in that space of time, so, you know, 15, a minute, let's say, he will have covered X amount of telegraph poles, which means that, therefore, they must be doing 30 miles an hour. That's the way he's worked it out. Now, I'd like to see the equation for this because I'm really confused about it. But the basis is that that's what he's doing. He's counting telegraph poles against a stopwatch. And on the strength of how many poles he has passed in that minute's duration, let's say, he then realizes I'm doing 30 miles an hour. What he hadn't taken into consideration, and I think is a very interesting factor, is the fact that, all right, there's a camera crew on top of the train, not all the time, but a camera crew on top of the train with Sean Connery for the close-ups. The long shots, which would have been done with a stuntman, realistically, are not. That is still Connery, and he is being filmed from a helicopter. Now, the helicopter has timed the speed of the train at 50 miles an hour. I say again, 50 miles an hour. The difference between 30 miles an hour and 50 miles an hour, apart from being, yes, 20 miles an hour, yes, I'm aware of this, but the difference between that is staggering, especially on a steam locomotive, which this is. The difference in buffeting, in wind in balance is it's ramped up to another level and you've got the star of the film on the roof and he's having to I mean, there's, there's a couple of moments in the film where alright he's acting he's an actor that's what he does but he is hanging off that train um, to a degree that as a director or as a stunt coordinator let's say I would be unhappy with that and I would certainly 
be in a position where I would not want him to be going out any further than here, and yet you're going over there. You'd be getting pushed back onto that carriage. So there's a number of factors involved here. And again, doing it all 50 miles an hour, he gets all the way to the carriage at the back. He then, the uh, carriage at the back has two um, uh, funnels coming out of the top of it, just uh, small holes in the roof with a little funnel attached to each. He has to manoeuvre one length of rope down one hole, go to the other end, which is the other end of the carriage, and lower the next rope, no, the other end of that rope down there, for them to take hold inside, him tie it off on himself, round his belt, round his waist, and then start to get lowered down. And he's doing this all, again, at 50 miles an hour, which is crazy, absolutely crazy. Stunt people doing that, re realistically, right you might have had the actor on a carriage of train right not um not physically moving there would have been a wind machine creating the effect he'd have been on the train and you redress the carriage as he goes from one to the other or there is a section of track which is marked off for the use of this particular carriage alone and it's pulled along and it can be pulled back and pulled along and you just keep changing direction the whole time you get the shots you're looking for the long shots will then be done by a stuntman um similar to uh, martin grace and paul weston in octopussy you know, running along the carriages doing what they have to do jumping down grabbing hold of this Going, all of that is done by a stunt professional and the actor is safe as houses elsewhere but that's not the case here he's absolutely out there on his own and those long shots are phenomenal there's a couple of remarkable shots where the train um, I've been lucky enough to get some photographs which uh, you will see on Friday in Friday's show uh, but there are some remarkable images of him very much alone on the train as the train whistles past you know they really is shifting and him hanging out of the side of the train because obviously they have to throw the bullion from that carriage to this waiting carriage uh, further on down the track so it's absolutely remarkable that this was allowed to happen back then and uh you know the 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 beauty of of, uh, of Jeffrey Unsworth, of course, as the uh, uh, as the chief cameraman and uh, director of photography on this, and does a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, the smoke, you know, hides a great deal, um, and it's uh, just a, an extraordinary, extraordinary um, sequence. And you can't believe for a moment that. That's what they were doing back then in 1978. You expect it now from people like uh, like Tom Cruise. And, um, you know, the Jackie Chans of this world have been doing it very successfully for 30 years. But you never really expect it to have happened on a mainstream picture with an actor as big as Sean Connery. Now, to the best of my knowledge, the only... Um, stuntman that I've managed to spot in any of this is at the end of the movie 
when Connery uh, is sent out of the jail, he's presu- uh, sent out of the courtroom. He's caught. He's captured. Don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you haven't seen the movie, well, it's been out since 1978. Get a hold of yourself. Um, but the um, he goes down the steps of the um, of the of the court. He's kissed passionately by a woman in the, in the crowd. Happens to be Leslie Ann Down, who's passed him a key that he can get his handcuffs off. Um, and one of the prison guards leading him down is Val Mazzetti. And that's it. I genuinely don't see anybody else there. If there is other people there, well, we'll have to hunt them down at a later stage. But I genuinely don't I don't see anybody else there. And he throws Val out of the carriage. And uh, Donald Sutherland is... is um, uh, driving the carriage and they go off and to fight another day it's a super movie if you haven't seen it do see it by all means it's great fun but um this particular sequence is extraordinary and uh, sean connery really has a great deal of bottle i would say and i think this is probably anybody who would have worked with connery would probably be able to vouch for this i would say that Michael Crichton had said, hey, wouldn't it be great if you were up there on that train and Connery's given him, you know, not in a million years, you're not paying me enough to get me up there and probably stumped up a bit more lolly. And on the strength of that, he's gone, well, fair enough. Because, you know, Sean was never shy over a pound note, as you know. So the, the idea that you might, you know, wave this under his nose for him to go well i might just have a little go i think that's possibly what's happened here and at some point particularly when they're on top of that train and those long shots connery has realized he's bitten off a great deal more than he can chew and there is a distinct possibility from the director and everybody else we might actually cause the death of this man up here in a minute this is really harrowing and yet you know they pull the whole thing off the edit's very good it's a remarkable thing to watch, but it's extraordinary to see at this in this day and age that this type of uh, sequence was allowed. I say back then, you expect it now, but back in 1978, not something that you would have expected to have seen. So, fascinating stuff, and something that we will explore more on Friday in the YouTube show, so don't forget to check that out. Uh, go and check out the Pod Dojo Network. They're the people responsible for this podcast and effectively everything else. Um, and until then, I will bid you a fond adieu. Bye for now. <laughs>